is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hi, my name is Jason. And my name is Chris. And this is The Talking Dead, episode 146 for Wednesday, February 19th, 2014. Happy birthday, Mom. It's your mom's birthday? It's my mom's birthday. Oh, isn't that nice? Your mom is a wonderful lady. She is pretty nice. Yeah, I walked her down the aisle that one time. That that one time, yeah. <laughs> when, when you married her? That's right, when I married your mom. <laughs> no, you don't walk your own <laughs> wife down the aisle or wife-to-be. No, yeah, no, you no. walked with my my mom down the aisle at my wedding. That is true. That is All correct. Right. Yeah, it was a nice time. She told me to slow down. Slow down. That sounds like my mom. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, I was anxious. I was anxious <laughs> to get there. I feel like I've told that story before on the podcast. So uh, if someone, if you've heard this before, forgive me. It has been I, a long day, Jason. It has been a long day. Oh man, I I am I am worn out, down. Feel like I've been punched in the face. Just want to sit and do nothing and go to bed so if life was a dead fish it would have slapped you in the face with itself <laughs> yes yeah, something like that yeah <laughs> just it just would have got up picked up the dead fish and just slapped me right across the forehead with it yeah uh and and you know things aren't going to get any easier for the next little while just a busy busy time at work and you know i'm feeling it but it's all good because i'd rather be busy than be constantly bored and have nothing to do well, that is good, right? That's that's usually how I look at things like this. Yeah. And I'm spending a lot more time in the car than the next couple of days than I usually do, too, which I don't mind so much, but it's unusual. I don't usually do you, do drive you like to, to work. Eat? Do you like to eat in the car? Uh, not particularly. Well, you should. Really? Just to, yeah, just to, to help your drive. If you're spending more time in the car, just uh, go through a drive-thru and grab something to eat and eat while you're driving. Isn't it dangerous to eat while you're driving? Oh, yeah. Okay. That's what makes it entertaining. That's what makes it fun. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> you could kill somebody. <clears throat> Including myself. Yeah. Uh, well, no. Today I went to Tim Hortons, but I ate it before I got back to the car. That was quick. <laughs> You're getting the roll up the rim, right? We got double roll up the rim now. I did. I, I got a I got a tea from Tim Hortons. Nice. And I didn't uh I didn't even roll it up yet. The cup's still in the car. Jeez. See? Look at on that. You may have already won. I'm all some out of grand sorts. prize. I'm all out of sorts. I don't know what I'm doing, uh, except for the fact that I know exactly what I'm doing right here, sitting in front of this microphone. You okay? You're rubbing your eyes a lot. Yeah, my eyes are itchy today. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. <laughs> See, oh man, this day's been long. I'm tired. I'm already all over the place. Yeah. So I'll stop rubbing my eyes, and we can move on. All righty. Um, we are going to play another entry in our Record Your Favorite Scene Contest. What do you think about that? Ooh, exciting. I'm excited. Yeah. This one comes from Claudia. Now, the scene in this recording is voiced by her son. And uh, I don't know if some people don't like, you know, having their kids mentioned and stuff. So I'm not going to mention her son's name, but it comes from Claudia. And this is a short scene that you may recognize voiced by her son. Dad. Dad, wake up. Wake up, come on. Dad, wake up. Wake up. Wake up. Wake up. Wake up. And scene. <laughs> that was fantastic. So that was from the first uh, episode of the second half of season four, where Carl is yelling at his dad, who's in sort of a mini coma to wake up. <laughs> nice. I thought that was great. You want to hear it again? Yeah, just once more. All right. Dad. Dad, wake up. Wake up, come on. Dad. Wake up! Wake up! Wake up! Wake up! Wake up! <laughs> and he didn't wake up. Oh. <laughs> Thank you, Claudia and Claudia's son, for sending that in. It's a great one. We'll keep we'll keep playing them if you keep sending them in. So uh, it's awesome. Excellent. All right, let's get right into it. Uh, here we go. Holy crap! Did you see that? I don't know, Jason. Holy crap, did you see that? I probably did. Okay. We have a few to catch up on before we get into listener feedback. And I forgot already. Who's reading the first one? You're reading the first one. Okay, this comes from Maria in Spartanburg, South Carolina. Holy crap, Daryl and Beth are going the wrong way on the tracks. They aren't going the same way as Tyrese, Carol, and the kids. 
Oh, geez, I hadn't noticed that. Yeah, but I went back and watched, and they do, in fact, go the wrong way. That's terribly, terribly unfortunate. For a couple of reasons. One, it means they're not going to meet up with the others uh, that easily, unless they turn around. Right. Or somebody turns around. And two, they're moving away from Terminus, not towards it. Yeah, maybe the tracks turn and turn around at some point. <laughs> they're a big circle. <laughs> it's a big circle. And they go back. <laughs> they, uh, yeah, I don't see that happening. Tra- train tracks no. start and end somewhere. <laughs> yeah, usually. <laughs> usually, yeah. All right, so we have uh, an email from Craig in Scotland. My holy crap moment was Bulletproof Maggie. In the bus scene, Maggie is in a trance as a walker approaches her. We get a direct view from her perspective, and Spooky Stooky shoots a zombie right through the head, and we clearly see an exit wound through the eye. Yet Maggie, who is standing directly in line with Piggy in the middle zombie and Stooky, is completely unharmed. Yep. It's, it's a row of people. We're yep. looking out Maggie's eyes. There's a zombie coming at her, and Spooky Stooky fires that gun straight through the back of the walker's head, right out its forehead, or its eye, as Craig said, and uh, the bullet just magically disappears. Yeah. What is it? Piggy in the middle? Is that a thing? Um, it's uh, in Canada, or at least in my family, we call it monkey in the middle. Monkey in the middle. Yeah, okay, I recognize two, that. Two kids, one kid in the middle, or two parents with the kid in the middle, and you throw a ball back and forth, and the monkey in the middle has to try and get it. Right, yeah. Yeah. Or so. you steal something from said monkey or piggy right. and keep it away from them. Sure. That's more of a keep away kind of game. But it's the same the same idea. Yeah, parents do it with the best of intentions. Uh, you know, teenagers do it to be dicks. Right. <laughs> you want your lunch back? Want your lunch back, punk? <laughs> I'm sure some parents do it to be dicks. Oh, there's probably dick parents out there, yeah. Yeah. Okay, this email comes from Adam in Hampshire, UK. My holy crap moment has to be Glenn with the riot gear. It showed up more in the comics, and Glenn would have died without it. I love that it's popped up again, as it's one of the best bits of kit they have. Yeah, I was very excited about that, too. Yeah? Yeah, I I really enjoyed the fact that he picked up uh, some riot gear. Well, it makes sense. Now, let me ask you a question. You've been in the Army. Or the reserves. Uh, I was in the reserves, yeah. So, but you've have you worn stuff like this? Oh God, no, no, no. Oh, okay. Well, do you think it's heavy? This kind of stuff. Probably. How much would it slow you down if you were wearing a full suit of riot gear? Uh, you probably wouldn't want to run very far, especially after you've uh, you know briefly or recently gotten over a very bad illness. Right. Yeah, Glenn seemed to be really up and down, eh, in this episode. he One minute he would be completely out of it, lying on a bed, like ready to pass out and die. And the next minute he's charging through zombies and running out the gate. I mean, I know if I have a chest cold even, it takes me weeks to get to the back to a point where I'd be running anywhere. Well, there's there's a big difference between... Uh, Me and Glenn, you know, I yes. Don't, I don't... F- <laughs> well, yeah, but the difference between I don't feel well, I don't really feel like running and doing exercise, and I have to run because if I don't, I'll die. Okay, that's true. Yeah. And uh, Glenn is probably 25, and I'm 150, so... Uh, that's true. That's a big difference. Well, you've got that big bushy beard now, so uh, maybe that'll help. <laughs> no, it'll slow me down. <laughs> which which made me uh you know him picking up the uh the riot gear reminded me of an idea I had. I don't know if I mentioned it on the show, but uh rubber armor. Rubber? Rubber. You use uh either you get, get an old tire and you cut it up and you make uh armor plates and you uh, sew it to a jacket or something so that uh you have all kinds of rubber protecting you. Yeah, I think you did mention that. Um that's the other thing though. It would also be heavy. It would be heavy, but then uh, another thought came to me, or another idea I saw on the internet when I started searching for this, was uh, go get a bunch of bicycle tubes that are rubber and Mm -hmm. just wrap them around your arm. Try and bite through that. Yeah, you would need a fair bit. Do you think that would be... A couple layers, and you're not going to be able to bite through. I mean, we're not talking about, uh, you know, lion-proofing your arm or shark-proofing your arm. (laughs) We're talking about human-proofing your arm. Right. You only need... You know, a, a bit of duct tape and or phone books and you're fine. Shark proofing. So, <laughs> if you could invent a suit that was shark proof, that'd be yeah. awesome. <laughs> chainmail. That's what yeah. they use. Yeah, try swimming in with chainmail. No, but it's, it's not exactly a thing you would, but they use that. They have that. Look that up for uh, to protect yourself from sharks. They use chainmail. 
Well, wait a minute. No, to protect yourself from a shark, you stay in a cage underwater. Yes, but you also uh, you can also put on chainmail. And the uh, I mean, the shark, if it's big enough, will crush your arm. Mm-hmm. But uh, if you know, for smaller sharks and such, it won't pierce your skin. But what are you doing in the ocean with chainmail on? How do you not sink? Trying not to die from sharks. Okay, I guess. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, if you know you're going to be in shark-infested waters and you're doing research or photography or some damn thing, you wear <laughs> chainmail. If it's just chainmail gloves or chainmail arms, just to, you know, if a shark's coming at you and it's not, you know, a great white or anything, because that'd be stupid to go anywhere near that. But if it's a smaller shark, say less than 50 pounds, and it's coming at you and you have chainmail on your arms... Uh, or, you know, you stick your arm in the in the shark's mouth, and you'll be fine. I got an idea. Don't go in shark-infested water. Well, yeah, but, you know, <laughs> photographers and researchers and, you know, crazy people, yeah. they're, uh, they're crazy. They sure are. You know what else is crazy? What? This. Listener feedback. All righty. Me or you? All right, it's me. Okay. All right, so we have uh, Dale from Walkersville, MD. What's that? Maryland. Maryland. I'm really not good with states. I better get some cheat sheets going on for uh, state abbreviations. All right. This email is about episode nine, but uh, we thought it was funny. Did anyone see all the stacked books and think of the opening of Ghostbusters? You're right. No human being would stack books like this. Yeah. So that's a quote from the beginning of (laughs) Ghostbusters when they're in the library. Yeah. And I I don't know which one uh, says it. Bill Murray? Doesn't matter. No, I think it was Egon. No, Egon is... Who plays Egon? Oh, I don't know. The skinny guy, right? Yeah. Oh, Ramis? Harold Ramis. He plays Egon. That's right. And he makes a comment about the books, right? And, yeah. And I think it, it's probably Bill Murray says, you're right. No human being would stack books like this. <laughs> <laughs> That's good stuff. That is good stuff. <laughs> Thank you, Dale. All right. Now we're going to go to a call from Brent in Arkansas. Hi, this is Brent from Arkansas. I wanted to comment on y'all's thoughts of um, Bob's good mood after you know they had to leave the prison. He mentioned how he was with two other groups where you know crap hit the fan, and he was the only survivor, so he probably had a self-imposed curse on himself, which led to the alcohol use. So now, with the most recent. Uh, demise of his group, he cannot connect the dots between his arrival and the group falling apart. And he's not the only survivor, so he probably feels like his curse is broken. And that can lead to, you know, you feeling really good, which could eventually lead to him being sober more because he doesn't have those demons he's dealing with all the time. So, there's my thought. Thanks for the podcast. And thanks for the call, Brent. Um, that's uh, that's really good. That's that reminds me of uh, it's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. That's kind of how uh, how um, Bob is feeling. You're right. You know, he's he's been in other groups, as he said, where he was the only survivor after things went bad, twice at least, and now he's you know things have gone bad, and he's not the only survivor, and not only that, he's the only dude stuck with a couple of ladies. Yeah, I totally am on board with uh, Stucky trying to negotiate himself a threesome there. <laughs> right, so he's feeling pretty good about himself, really. Yeah, absolutely. You know? All right, so we have another call. Uh, Matt from Delaware. Hey, guys. This is Matt from Wilmington, Delaware. I just wanted to chime in on the most recent episode. I felt like the most disappointing part of the uh, the whole thing was, was when they introduced Eugene, Abraham, and Rosita. I really just could not take them seriously. I know you guys mentioned that they really kind of tried to look like the, co- the comic cover from uh, when they were introduced, but I just, it looked like Eugene was wearing a wig and Abraham's okay, but with the whole hand on the hip thing with Rosita, that just kind of really, I- I'm going to have to see them in action to really take them seriously. So. That's just my opinion. I uh, I know my buddy shared the same thing. Wanted to see what you guys thought. Keep up the uh, great work. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Matt. Um, you know, I wonder if your feeling about these three characters is altered by, by whether or not you have read the comic or know them from the comic or not. Well, I'm sure it is. 
well, at, at least in the fact that, you know, if you haven't read the comic, you have no idea who they are and what they're all about and how important they are and stuff like that. Um, and can, I mean, I don't know, can can you see that final scene kind of looking a bit cheesy if, if you don't know oh, what's totally going on? Oh, it totally was cheesy. Yeah? It, it, yeah, it totally looked cheesy. Uh, like, first of all, uh, where did the truck come from? Like, all of a sudden it was just there and the engine was running and nobody noticed before that which was kind of silly. Well, you heard so, it pull up while uh, Tara was fighting off that last zombie. Well, yeah, I, I heard an engine running. It was like, what the hell's that? But it just kind of showed up in the, I don't know, it was a, a little abrupt for me. Mm-hmm. And then these three characters get out and strike a pose. Right. It's definitely silly and definitely cheesy. Sure. I thought it was cool, though. I can forgive the, the cheesy. Yeah, thing. see, that's how I look at it. Okay, maybe it was a bit wacky, but it was still kind of awesome. And I think because I know the potential for these characters, you know, who knows where they're going to take it in the TV show. But right. I, you know, I I'm excited because there's a lot of stuff that that they could do here, and uh, I think it'll be fun. So, um, Matt, wait till you see them in action and reserve judgment. And if in action they are totally silly, then you know your feelings will be entirely justified. Right. That's true. This next email comes from Bernie a Canadian in the UK, and it's a follow-up to a previous email that Bernie sent about Judith's car seat uh, back after the first half of season four. But Bernie says this time, there is no way they would have kept Judith in a bloody car seat with infected zombie blood. Carl went on a run in a village in earlier episodes and found a brand new cot. I am sure in the many months they have done runs in and out of various villages, they for sure found a clean car seat. So this was done for effect, and it was a bit of a stupid mistake. So to make this 100% clear, we now know that Tyrese saved Judith, and then, off-camera, a walker came by and puked his guts in the empty car seat. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) I think Bernie, in his previous email, uh, proposed that theory, that maybe a walker came along and puked all over the car seat. Right, where'd the blood come from? That's clearly what happened now. Yeah. So. Well, yeah, obviously. <laughs> obviously. All right, so we have an email from uh, Matthew in St. Louis. Uh, when Beth was tag-teaming that zombie with Daryl, my wife asked, I thought Beth was weak. When did she become a badass? So once again, I tried to tell her that Baby Judith really limits the char- what a character can do in this show. When Beth was in charge of Judith, it's all she could do. They couldn't build her character like they had done with Maggie. So now that Tyrese and Carol have Judith, I'm afraid that we'll be limited until a little ass kicker is no more. Well, this has kind of been our, or at least my feeling about the baby for some time. It's just such, uh, um, it's just such a limiting factor because, and kind of an unrealistic one too, because you're always worried about feeding, clothing, and keeping the baby safe. Plus, babies are loud and they sleep a lot and and all these sorts of things that just aren't compatible with the zombie apocalypse and so we'll have to see where it goes and it's an interesting point that matthew makes that uh a zombie i mean a character who's spends all day looking after the baby like what else are they going to do that's their only their only role in the show yeah and that's what this you know if uh tyrese and carol uh it's going to be their entire thing it's the whole thing is going to be about judith yeah, you know, when you have a baby, that's what your whole life becomes. Oh, I know. I've had two of them. I know. Um, that being said, though, I think the way, uh, I think what they did with Judith in this last episode, I actually really liked. It's just that what? they can't do this same sort of stuff over and over again, running through the forest, babies loud, attracts zombies, things like that. It worked here, but it's not going to work again and again, you know? Yeah. And And how many different ways can they come up with to you know keep the baby interesting in the uh, in the story. That's my biggest question and my biggest fear. Seven, seven, seven okay. different ways to make it interesting. But after that, you run out, and that's the end of it. Well, then if that's the case, we have six more episodes. So one per episode plus the season five premiere, and then that's it. We're done with the baby. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, who's next? Me. That's you, Katie. In the UK, writes. I just wanted to say how great the episode was this week. I thought it was really good how they managed to show what everybody is doing after the prison assault in one episode. Some of the characters are being positive, some are terrified, and some feel like they just want to give up. 
I was also quite happy to see Judith alive and well, mostly because this hopefully means that Rick won't be boarding the train to Crazy Town anytime soon. This was something I feared would happen again if Judith was dead. Right. Well, I don't think he'll necessarily go on the train to Crazy Town, but uh, he's definitely on the boat from Sickville, and <coughs> yeah. uh, he's uh, on his way out of there. He he good. is. And again, I, I don't want to see Rick go to Crazy Town again, and if he just keeps losing family members and then going to Crazy Town for a while, again, not going to be an interesting story. No. And for that reason, I guess it's okay that Judith is alive, but... I don't know. I wonder what's going to happen. Since Rick and Carl believe she's dead, will she somehow die before the group comes back together? I don't know. And they'll she'll have to. And, and or else we got to go through the whole re- reunification thing. And they're all so happy. Uh, my baby's still alive. That's great. Oh, she died. Yeah, that's true. They they've already gone through that. I mean, not. It didn't seem to take them much uh, grieving to get over it, but. I guess well, they're not a, done, they're grieving, but they've already started. So, you know, taking a step back where you're not grieving and then take another step forward where you are grieving seems kind of redundant. Yeah, and then back and forth again, that's right. So, yeah, uh, I guess Judith is I guess Judith is not long for this world. Well, we every time we predict something, it doesn't pan <laughs> out. So That's uh, not true. We'll I've see. I've been right about a few things. Hey, you talked about Jasper enough that they put it in the show for you. That's right. That's that's, that's cool. Thank you, AMC people. It made Jason <laughs> yes, feel very you. important. Uh, yeah, a little <laughs> bit. All right, so we have uh, an email from Andrew in Oakdale, Minnesota. Is yep. that right? I think so. Okay, good. MN. Okay. Yep. Uh, have you ever thought Glenn went back to find Maggie because Maggie left to go find Beth in the mid-season finale? Glenn probably didn't have enough energy to get far with his condition from the disease he was recovering from. By the time everyone had already left the prison, he probably was struggling to get anywhere, and with the amount of walkers, he passed out in a spot where he wouldn't be attacked, and he could still see if any survivors came back to the prison. Okay, so what Andrew is saying is he left the bus to go find Maggie, who was out there looking for Beth. I guess he couldn't do that, so he made his way up to the top of the bridge, uh, presumably after the tank blew it up, and then decided to lie down there, or maybe not decided, that just happens to be where he collapsed and passed out for a while. Right. Yeah, I still that don't could, like that it. That could make sense. Yeah, it sort of kind of makes sense, but, uh, you know, if he, he, he took up a, an Overwatch position where he could see what was going on, and then uh, his body decided, uh, you know what, dude, I'm done with you for a little bit, so uh, let's go to sleep. Yeah, I, I still don't like it, though. I mean, he was he was not well, and if he was going to get off the bus, they should have shown us him getting off the bus. I, that's just what I think, right? It's equally um, suspenseful because you don't know what his fate is. That's where the drama and the suspense come f- comes from, that... You know, Glenn is all by himself on a bus, or Glenn is somewhere lost in the prison. There's zombies everywhere. We don't know what happened to him. That's key. And, you know, um, I feel like if they'd shown him get off the bus, flee into the prison, it almost would have made Maggie's storyline a little bit better in this last episode. Remember how I didn't like it because... We sort of know Glenn is alive. Now, I didn't like it because of the preview that they showed and they revealed that he was alive. Right. But uh, <clears throat> I don't know. It's, I, to have Maggie sort of barking up the wrong tree like that, <laughs> for some reason, I think it would have worked better for me. Right. Anyways. Um, we have a call. Bianca in Manila, Philippines. I think it's our first call ever from the Philippines. Nice. Hi, this is Bianca from Manila, Philippines. Long-time listener, first-time caller. The show used to be aired on Saturday before the next episode, but since episode 9 of season 4, we get at 8.55 p.m. and 9.50 p.m. of Monday night local time, back-to-back. My holy crap moment is when baby Judith touches Lizzie's hand as if trying to pull it away from her mouth slash nose. It gave me shivers. I also just wanted to check if I heard Tara correctly when she talks to Glenn about her sister and her niece. Did she say sister and nephew by mistake? Hoping I just misheard her. And I'm sorry you're thinking of giving up the Twitter handle as you're on my notifications list. Thank you for um, all the awesome podcasts. 
on Mondays and Wednesdays. Keep smiling. Bye. Thank you, Bianca. So I kind of cheated here, Jason, and she threw in a holy crap, <clears throat> which uh, is a really good one, actually. Yeah. Um, it's something I noticed, too, with uh, when when Lizzie was covering the baby's mouth and nose, that they used the real baby for that. They did not use the fake baby. They actually, at least for the close-up shots, they used the real baby because her eyes are moving very realistically. Her hand does come up and touch Lizzie's hand. Which I noticed while I was watching it, and I couldn't believe the fact that they used a real baby, and it made it that much more horrifying for me. Right, but I don't think that they they got a good seal on the baby's mouth and nose. Like, there's no way that they would even for a half a second smother a baby. I know. I, I understand that. I know she didn't actually suffocate the baby, but the fact is they used a real baby. To, yeah. to portray this baby murdering scene, you know? Well, there was probably, uh, even if uh, the actress playing uh, Lizzie was, uh, you know, the hand actress in this scene, there probably was a few people standing around ready to give her a good slap if she did actually, uh, if the actress did actually, you know, get a good seal on the baby's mouth. <laughs> if she went a little too far? Went a little too far. It, re- it reminds me of when I was a kid and uh, we were at uh, a cottage in the summer uh, we used to call it camp up in northern Ontario, and it really was just a cabin in the woods. Uh, the batteries ran out on the ghetto blaster, and uh, my <laughs> parents were uh, quite drunk with uh, my aunts and uncles, and there was a whole bunch of family there, and everybody was pretty hammered. And they wanted to hook the uh, the ghetto blaster, this was back in the 80s, and then we had a ghetto blaster, uh, up to the car battery. <laughs> But they didn't know if it was going to be uh, if he was going to be electrocuted or what was going to happen. So my uncle Dougie stood there with a uh, a wooden broom handle, ready to whack my father if uh, if there was an electric shock going on. But uh, <laughs> they fried the ghetto blaster and nobody got hurt. <laughs> Only the ghetto blaster died. Yeah. Well, that's good. And sometimes I wonder how you managed to make it all the way through childhood. Oh, good lord, yeah. <laughs> I think the next day. Uh, my parents basically spent the whole day uh, sleeping because uh, they were hungover, and uh, me being in grade three and my brother being in grade four, we pretty much had to take care of ourselves that day. <laughs> so you took the boat out for a spin. Oh and, God, yeah. yeah, we were all over the place. Yeah, we were wild. We were completely wild. That but, is amazing. <laughs> yeah, amazing. So anyway, uh, if you're going to do something dangerous, have somebody standing next to you with some kind of weapon to make sure that. Uh, uh, you don't get hurt by what you're doing and only get hurt by them. Right. Okay. Why not? Uh, Bianca made some other points. Uh, what were they? Do you remember? Oh, yeah. The um, she think, the thing about uh, Tara talking to Glenn at the end, a few people sent us in uh, a note about that. Everyone thinks she said, all I saw was my sister and nephew. Right. And um, it's not nephew. I went back and watched the episode with the closed captioning on, and the line is, so Glenn says, did you see any of my people, if any of my people got out? And Tara responds, all I saw was my sister in that field. So I guess that field sounds like nephew, which it kind of did when I watched it. So um, in case you're wondering, all I saw was my sister in that field, not nephew. Right. Well, that makes much more sense. Yeah. And regarding our Twitter handle... We're not really thinking of giving it up. Uh, we're going to keep it unless, like we said last time, AMC rolls a bunch of money up to our my house and says, we'd like that Twitter handle, please. Then yeah, I'll get a virtual dump truck. It doesn't have to be like a real dump truck full of real money. No, but wouldn't that be uh, cool? Unless it was all nickels. <laughs> I don't know if that'd be enough. <laughs> and I don't want that many nickels. Oh, that'd long? be a pain in the bottom, wouldn't it? Just having a big <laughs> pile of nickels in, in your driveway. Yeah, it really, really would. People be coming by, digging through. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I'd have to roll them up into into nickel rolls, like one yeah. at a time. Oh That'd my be gosh! A pain. All right. Anyway, so we're not getting rid of the Twitter handle. Uh, you can keep it on your alerts, and uh, that's that. All right. So we have uh, we have an email from Jazz in New Orleans. The logistics of Terra and Glenn's escape did not make sense to me. When the prison uh, was being attacked, Tara, who was an emotional wreck at the time, stayed behind the governor's vehicles, only to eventually creep away in a direction that that led away from the prison. Glenn was half dead, yet somehow these two managed to make make their way back to the prison in the midst of a gunfire and a zombie horde, 
and made their way to respective locations, avoiding detection and injury. Come on. Even if it made sense that they made their way back to the prison, neither person was in a condition to defend themselves. Well, we've kind of already talked about Glenn. At least at least I made my feelings clear. Tara, I can see the point here. I mean, she's way out in the field. You know, Why would she walk into the prison? I mean, is it is it because she thinks she might find help there? Like, why wouldn't she flee and maybe go back to the camp where she came from? The only thing I can think of is this kind of thing actually happened to me in Halo a couple of times. <laughs> where you're 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 going through the mission and you got a bunch of horde, uh, a horde of you know creatures attacking you, and you're running around thinking you're running away, and all of a sudden you end up back where you started, and it's very confusing. That happens in Halo. It happened to me. <clears throat> I mean, I remember. In the, the original Halo, the first Halo game, there were a lot of very samey episode, uh, levels. Right. You know, um, you'd be going through a part and it would look one way and you'd, you'd think you'd be progressing and then you'd go across a bridge and you'd be into another building or alien encampment or something and it looked all exactly the same. And that was just because it was the first Halo game. It was early on. They changed after they, you know, they got better after that. But um, I never found myself running back to the beginning by accident. Do you remember the the uh, the level with the island, and you had to get to the center of the island? Yeah, sort of. I drove around that island like six times, thinking I was going in a straight line. <laughs> maybe you just have <laughs> directional issues. Yeah, well, maybe she does too. That's what I'm saying. Is okay. that uh, maybe she got confused and was running through the woods? You ever get lost in the woods? Getting lost in the woods is confusing. And you get uh, you're running around. You think you're going in a straight line. There's got to be a road here somewhere. All of a sudden, you come out of the woods and you're like, "Ah, oh, crap! There's a prison." Well, I better go see if I can find a spot in that prison to see if there's a safe place. Oh, yeah. This is this isn't the same prison where we just attacked. This must be a different one. <laughs> That's a different tank. That's not the same tank. No, no. <laughs> All righty. Uh, this next email, next two are are sort of related, but this next one is from. Somebody in Salt Lake City, Utah. Oh, oh. I'm, I'm sorry, somebody. I didn't write down your name. But hopefully you'll recognize your email. <laughs> well, maybe the email is just from Salt Lake City, Utah. Maybe. Maybe the entire city got together and condensed their feelings down into this one email. Or the city has become sentient. Ooh, or that. And then and then got an email address. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's the first thing a city would do if it became one <laughs> sentient hive mind. As long as it's 13 years old, it's fine. All right. Well, Salt Lake City, Utah has this to say. When you were reviewing the most recent episode, you mentioned that the whole Maggie searching for Glenn on the bus storyline, oops, excuse me, the whole Maggie searching for Glenn on the bus storyline was not suspenseful due to the preview showing Glenn waking up. I disagree. When I saw the preview, I assumed he was waking up on top of the bus and there were zombies reaching up toward him. Then, when I started watching the episode and realized the different groups were crossing paths at different times, I worried that maybe Glenn had been alive and they would show us later in the show how he was killed and zombified for Maggie to find on the bus. And uh, just uh, the second email from Chris in the UK. I did briefly buy Glenn possibly being dead. I had seen the preview, but as the episode was playing uh, playing with linear time already, I thought we'd flash back to how Glenn died. Could have been really heartbreaking, including a moment where he thinks he's escaped, but we know he's toast. I do agree that we wouldn't have had an off-screen death for him. He's not Lily. Right. Lily died off-screen, as far as we know. And you know what? Chris's uh, scenario, I think, is a really good one. Show... Yeah. Uh, uh, show a flashback within the episode to how Glenn died and uh he's right it could have been could have been really heartbreaking thinking you know he's you know he thinks he's safe and then uh and then that's it i i i would have been okay with that totally and, right and then and, the, and you would have been blown away because you had completely assumed that uh Glenn would have, had survived because of the preview but uh then he as it turns out he didn't well, exactly. That's right. He, yeah. You think he's alive. The preview shows him alive. I still would have believed, I still wouldn't have believed that they'd kill Glenn like that without some, you know, big ceremony or something. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but if they had, that would have shown some serious balls. And if there's one thing you know about me, it's that I love balls. That's true. So, you know, it's it, that would have been really, really cool. And it's, 
I don't want to see Glenn die, but I'm just going to say it's too bad it didn't play out that way. Yeah, because that would have been awesome. Yeah, right. Uh, me next. Dante from the internet writes, Have you guys noticed that every walker on this show wears long sleeve shirts? I wish I hadn't noticed this, uh, because now I can't watch any scenes with walkers without looking for it. But none of the walkers wear short sleeve shirts. So we're to believe that when the apocalypse started, that every single person in Georgia was wearing long sleeves. No one in tank tops, no one in regular short sleeves. Every single person died wearing flannel. <laughs> well, when did uh, Rick woke up and it was the fall, right? Because it, mm-hmm. it was, so maybe uh, it was getting a little chilly and everybody just <clears throat> happened to be wearing long sleeve shirts. And maybe all the people with, with short sleeve shirts and the tank tops, maybe they're all the ones that get eaten by the other ones that don't have long sleeve shirts. Maybe it's a, a hierarchy of uh, edibility. So short sleeve wearing people get eaten by zombies in long sleeve shirts, so the long sleeve ones stick around longer. Right. I guess we're going to have to go with that. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> yeah. Everybody's got soft heads, and long sleeve people eat uh, short sleeve people. Perfect. And right. and short sleeve people eat tank top people. Right. Or no sleeve people. Or no sleeve people. So where does that leave Daryl Dixon? The bottom of the zombie uh, food chain. Well, yeah, if he was a zombie, but he's a human, and it's true, kicks ass, and has so a crossbow. Clearly, it's the opposite for humans. No sleeve people are the top of the, the the ladder, and it goes down from there. Yeah, and and just for the record, I uh, <laughs> never ever 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 have long sleeves, unless I'm wearing a suit jacket, and then I don't have a choice because rolling them up would make me look like I was on. Uh, uh, what was that show with that guy with the white suit jacket back in the 80s? <laughs> I have no idea, but no one would roll up their suit jacket sleeves. It was uh, set in Miami. It was about uh, <laughs> oh, a couple yeah. of Vice cops. Miami was Vice. It? Miami Vice. That was it. Yeah, so I'd be like uh, Don Johnson in Miami Vice with my jacket's sleeves rolled up. You know, it, it strikes me now. I, I really wish that I could have come up with Miami Vice when you just said that show in the 80s with that guy or whatever, <laughs> with the white jacket. I'm like, yeah. how did I not come up with Miami Vice? Seriously. <laughs> yeah, because, uh, yeah, I either I wear a short sleeve shirt or if I'm wearing a long sleeve shirt, I roll it up every single time. I cannot stand long sleeves. 100% agree with you. I'm exactly the same way. It's because I type on a keyboard all day and the sleeve just gets in the way of the keyboard. Well, yeah, and that's the same reason why I can't wear a watch when I'm sitting down. Oh, well, I don't wear a watch anyways. Yeah. All right, so uh, we have an email from Tyson on the internet. I have a crazy out there idea, but last time uh, they were in Atlanta, they left a big group of survivors who were looking after old people. Uh, they had a lot of firepower, and they had a good setup, and personally, I think with this size of group, they just may, maybe they are the sanctuary. Have you seen the first episode after the mid-season break? Uh, they like to do throwbacks to older episodes. Right. So they did that in the first episode. Could the group of Vatos in Vatos. the first season be the sanctuary that they've grown into a thriving, safe community now? Right. It could be, but I don't think so. No, I don't think so either. There was also a deleted scene on the first season DVD, I think, of the group going back there to look for them, and they had either moved on or were invaded by zombies or somebody else, and they were gone. Right. Now, I don't know if deleted scenes are canon, so that may not mean anything, but if they do, then I don't think that group is is out there at all anymore. I agree. All right. Our next email comes from Marianne in Norway. Something that often grates me while watching The Walking Dead is how whenever a zombie manages to grab one of the main characters, they only seem interested in keeping a hold of them. No biting, no scratching. Example, in Inmates, a zombie grabs Beth by her bare arms and keeps shaking her until she escapes. Had this been someone outside our group, uh, the zombie would have immediately bit her, not to mention at least scratch her unprotected arms. Case in point, when Tyrese encounters two guys down by the train rails, a zombie gets a hold of the arm of one of the guys and immediately bites into it. Of course, the prison group have the fortune of being protected by the main character shield. Right. Or as you've or called it, the plot device shield. Yeah, they're a plot device. They cannot die. Until they're, until someone chooses that they die. Right. Well, we just have to assume that the zombies that grab the main characters are short sleeve zombies. 
and uh, that they, they just do not have the wherewithal to uh, properly uh, chow into into somebody. Yeah, except that we see them all, and they're all long sleeve zombies, so oh. I don't know. Oh, it's tough. Then maybe there's some kind of weird hierarchy of uh, long sleeve zombies as well. Well, I just want to throw out there that this rule, this is not a hard and fast rule that Marianne has picked up on, because in season one, Amy, Andrea's sister Amy, was grabbed and bit by a zombie pretty quick. She was. And she was a main character at the time, and it's probably happened in other cases as well, but that's the one I can think of. <laughs> right. So think of, think of this as uh, like traffic laws. They're not hard and fast rules. They're just kind of general guidelines that we go by. Uh, traffic laws are bylaws. <laughs> so don't, uh, don't just think of them as recommendations, Jason. All right, so think of them like uh, spelling. If you uh, if you can get your point across, that's good enough. The exact correct spelling is not necessarily required, unless you're in grade ten English class. Right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. So we have an email from Tiff uh, Tiff Tim in Buffalo, New York. Can it be Tiff in Bumalo, New York? <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah. I'm sorry, Tim. I, I, uh, I doubt it. Maybe, uh, it, you know, Tim's his actual name, so we're going to go with that. Okay. I just wanted to point something out you missed completely about the shoe that made Beth lose it. Right after they show her start to cry and zoom in on the shoe, they cut to the kids walking, and Mika is wearing the same kind of shoes. Uh, this got me immediately thinking that these kids, or at least Mika, is about to get it. She didn't, of course. But maybe they had a bunch of those shoes lying around the prison like this, and all of the kids were wearing them. Either way, they totally had me uh, had me going there for a few. I just kept waiting on the edge of my seat for the scene where one of the kids is being eaten. Yep, um, I went back and checked, and there was actually a scene in between these two scenes of Daryl and Beth sitting around a campfire again. Right. Um, but the next scene after that is when we come to Tyrese and the girls walking through the forest and it focuses very clearly on Mika's shoes and they are similar, if not the same. So, uh, I think that, I think, uh, Tiff in Bumalo is onto something here. <laughs> Sorry, Tim, I can't help it. I think he's onto something here and, and that, uh, they were trying to connect you know, that shoe with the other kids in the prison. Now, Jason, I'm going to do something now that's going to just going to throw everything all out of whack here. You got it. I'm going to skip a couple emails, but we'll go back to them. And I'm going to jump down to Nancy in Pennsylvania. Okay. And Nancy says, about what Daryl and Beth found at the train tracks. Wikipedia described it as, quote, at a campfire, Beth persuades a depressed Daryl to join her in searching for other survivors from the prison attack. The next day... The two discover that children Luke and Molly have been killed by walkers. So what Wikipedia is saying is that the two of the bodies there at the train tracks were Luke and Molly, the other two kids from the prison. Right. And if you remember, they ran off with um, Lizzie and Mika at one point. Now, how they got separated, who knows? I went to the Wikipedia site page for uh, The Walking Dead in this episode. And there are more than one reference, actually, to the <clears throat> to that shoe and those dead bodies belonging to the two kids. Now, right. citation was still required for all of the references, so this may just be assumption on the part of fans and things like that. But I'd have to say it's a pretty safe one, pretty safe bet at this point. The other thing is, when you first see that scene, I did this, I went back and watched a couple times. When you first see it, there are some people that are already dead. They look small, and they do kind of look like the same sort of hair color and stuff, even though you don't see their faces, as the two kids, um, Luke and Molly. Right. So it may not have been totally obvious in the episode, but I think that's what they were getting at, that uh, those were the kids. They got out there somehow. They got eaten by zombies, and they were completely demolished. Like, their bodies were... By the time... Uh, um, by the time Daryl and Beth got there, there was virtually nothing left. Right. Um, it's when Tyrese gets there that there's, you know, more left of them. So, <clears throat> so that's, that works. Like that works with the story for me as to why Beth would be in such a state at seeing that shoe there. It, it does work for me. And let me just point out uh, that this entire podcast is made up of assumptions by fans. 
So I'm inclined to believe Wikipedia, even if it's just an, a bunch of assumptions by fans. Well, sure, uh, exactly. And but but ha- having rewatched it and considered the evidence and all this sorts of things, it supports that theory. Yeah, and that makes sense to me. Okay. I'm just surprised that that didn't have to come out on Talking Dead. Yeah, that's true. Um, I kind of half watched AMC's Talking Dead this week, although I usually sort of half watch it. I'm I'm generally doing other stuff related to what we do while it's on after the or between episodes. So, um, but I, I don't remember it coming up on that show. Right. It just seems like the kind of thing that would have to come up on that show to explain something that happened in the episode. <laughs> yeah. So that it made sense. That's sometimes what happens. All right, so I'm going to, uh, we'll do Monique, and then you can do Paul, and then we'll be back on track. How's that sound? Okay. All right, so Monique on the internet. So overall, uh, internet comments I've read on Lizzie, almost suffocating Judith, seem to fall into a couple of categories. One, some people were ready to quit the show if Lizzie killed Judith. In essence, the show would have gone too far. Or two, other people say the show was gutless for not killing off a baby Judith to begin with, killing off baby Judith to begin with. Can a show about a zombie apocalypse ever truly be edgy and yet not offend people? Well, uh, that's... I, I would say that uh, it's almost impossible to put anything on the airwaves or on the internet and not offend somebody. Yeah, you're going to offend somebody, but how terrible would it be if this show ended up being watered down because they were worried about offending people? Oh, yeah, don't do that. Good Lord, no. No, nobody wants that. The no. thing is, though... This is an extreme case, right? Like, killing a baby on screen, that's pretty offensive to nearly everybody. Yeah. And that might be why they chose to hold back, if indeed they did. It's just a story, and everybody knows it's a story. It's a fictional story. It's a zombie apocalypse, for crying out loud. They know it's not real. Well, of course they do. But that doesn't mean you... I mean, that doesn't mean you can just throw everything on screen and, and just hope it sticks, right? Right. And... You know, but the, the bottom line is, if they're worried about offending people, then, then yeah, they're never going to have a good show because that's always going to be in the back of their mind. Writers will be second guessing themselves. They have to go out, in my opinion, with the intention of offending some people. Right, and, and, and the chances are you're going to offend somebody. You remember Gilligan's Island? Oh yes. <clears throat> Uh, that show, uh, there was a bunch of people writing into the network saying that uh, they found the outfits that Marianne was wearing offensive because they showed her belly button. <clears throat> oh, my. Yeah, oh, my. And <clears throat> they actually had to edit the show and had to position her in such a way because there was some rule they came up with that you couldn't show a belly button on screen for more than like a half a second continuously. <laughs> so they would have to edit it so that any time her belly button was showing that it would fall under that half second or one second time limit so that they could actually have her belly button on the airwaves without uh, breaking or violating the uh, the rules. Well, that's just Gilligan's silly. Island was offensive to some people. That's just silly. It's well, just, yeah. It's by, you know, maybe not by, uh, when was that on? 50s, 60s? That, that was... Uh, it was black and white, it, so 60s. It did start black and white. Um, it could have premiered in the late 50s. I don't know, but... It, I think it was the 60s. Yeah. Because um, they had, uh, they had like, groovy dancers at one point, didn't they? <laughs> I don't know. I it didn't was watch. like groovy dancers, I'm pretty sure. I didn't see very much Gilligan's Island. I mean, well, I did go see, back and watch it. I did Great see show. some. Oh, I don't know about that. Uh, <laughs> but I didn't see much of it. I'm offended by that, mister. Yeah, yeah sorry. <laughs> Uh, anyways, I, I think that at, at the very least, they got to not worry about offending people. They have to worry about telling a good story, making yep. it compelling, interesting, and all those other things. And if that means offending some people, well, I'm sorry, people, but maybe next episode you won't be offended. Right. So you got to push the envelope. You got to get it on the air. It's easier to ask for forgiveness than to get permission. That's so for sure. Let it go. Okay. So now I'm doing Paul. Yeah. Paul in Bakersfield, he says, I actually liked Tyrese's back-to-back plan. They are in the middle of a forest with good lighting and visibility. If Lizzie wasn't enjoying suffocating Judith so much, the girls could have calmly walked away from those two walkers. Besides, Tyrese knows that zombies get you in the neck from behind. That's true. So uh, I I guess it's an okay plan. I still think... 
you know, here's a gun and a baby. Now stand here and look around and <laughs> and and you'll be fine is a little bit questionable. Question. How old are these girls, do you think? They're in in their characters anyway. They're 10 and 12? No, Mika's not that old. Like Mika to me seems like just a little bit older than my youngest kid who's uh turning who's 4. So I think Mika maybe is 5 or 6. No. And older than that. No. Look think about think about Soph. My daughter Sophie's 7. Yeah. I and, don't know from kids. Yeah, okay. Well, I think that Lizzie is like 9-10 and Mika is 5-6. Okay. That's pretty young. That is pretty young. That's really young. Here and the, and he gave the gun to the younger one. He did. <laughs> Maybe she's not strong enough to hold the baby. I don't know. Well, she pulled the trigger. She had to use four fingers to pull that trigger. <laughs> and the, I'm not even sure that a kid that young would have the uh, the requisite hand strength to do that even. Is it oh, supposed yeah. to be the, the pulling the, the, tr- the trigger is supposed to be the same kind of, uh, you need the same strength it would be to lift a gallon of milk with your finger. Well, that's my, quite a bit. Yeah, it's quite a bit. I, I my, my, my girls have weak little puny hands, so they probably couldn't do it either. Right. And that's a good indicator maybe that Mika wouldn't, been, wouldn't have been able to fire that gun. Right. Although in Panic, you get super strength, remember? Uh, yeah. I heard a good ex- explanation of that where you don't necessarily get super strength. You just have uh, the willpower to apply all of the strength that you have, which normally we don't do. Normally we don't. Well, you so ever you, walk in, speaking of milk, do you ever, uh, you know, pick up a gallon of, or a, a carton of milk from the fridge and expect it to be full and it's empty? Yeah, and you, you hit apply the, too much. You hit the shelf above. Yeah. Right. So your brain uh, automatically adjusts and goes, okay, I need this amount of strength to do this kind of task. And uh, and if your brain goes, I do not have the strength to perform this task, uh, you can pretty much guarantee that you're not going to do it. But if you're doing something that your brain just refuses to accept that you can't do, even though it's beyond your normal ability, uh, you can do it. But, uh, you know, you see you're pushing your body right to the extreme limit, which your brain is really quite hesitant to do. The brain is a wonderful and mysterious thing. It's a kludge. It's a complete kludge. Yeah, absolutely. Remind me to go into that someday. <laughs> I don't know if I'll do that, but okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah, it's a complete, it's a mess. Yeah. All right. So we have an email from Mills in D.C. One of the most humorous but subtle moments is when Tyrese is changing Judith and Lizzie flings the diaper away with the most disgusted expression. Oh, that made me laugh, too. I noticed that. (laughs) It was so funny. She just flings it into the forest and was like, this is disgusting. Again, reminded me of my kids because someone... He, we had someone over recently with a baby, and they were changing the baby, and the diaper was just full. And I won't go into details, but it was just full. And my one of my kids was standing there and looking at it, and she just goes, oh, my God, I can't even look at that. <laughs> and uh, that kind of reminded me of this, so I laughed. That's funny. Good stuff. Email Rich from London. Just been listening to the podcast and heard that part about Maggie's breakdown scene versus Beth's. Lauren isn't a trained actress. She's an experienced one. I was at university with her. Uh, where we weren't classically trained as actors. Lauren is a great actress, and you're right. Her scene trumps Beth's, but let's look at the stereotypical acting thing. Motivation. It's a lot harder to simply break down and cry or to manipulate an audience to empathize with you if you don't have a lot to uh, build yourself up with. The actress playing Beth just had to stand there and cry, whereas Lauren had a lot more of an ordeal to take Maggie through to get to the point of breaking down. And she had more to play with, rather than just standing there in a contrived manner. Sorry, don't mean to pull you up, just thought I'd check my pennies, just thought I'd chuck my pennies worth into the mix. Great podcast, I really enjoy it. So, I mean, that's kind of what I was saying. I know I said the word trained when we were speaking. I don't know if Lauren Cohan has formal acting training or not. Rich from London seems to think she does not, but she definitely has more experience. Right. And she's got more to rely on, you know, in her experience and in her life and so on that can, you know, she can inject into a scene like this. So, and and Rich was saying that there's more of a, a believable, not a believable, but more of a more meaty scene mm-hmm. that she can really get motivated from. 
whereas uh, whereas Beth, Emily Kinney, didn't have that. She just had to, okay, you're standing there, you see the shoe, you break down and cry. And she's supposed to pull all that emotion from that single thing. Right, whereas, and as, uh, as we've already Lauren, gone through, that scene was probably a little bit muddled and confusing as it is. Yeah. You know, the shoe wasn't quite enough for me to connect back to to the other kids. But if that was, you know, if it had been, if they'd shown the actual kids' bodies or something, and I don't need everything splashed out on screen for me like that, but maybe that would have been a little bit more of an emotional gut punch, as they say. Right. Uh, but I think in, Rich has a very good point. He does. In any case, it comes down to Lauren has more experience and, frankly, at this point, is probably a better actress than uh, Emily Kinney is. I would agree with and that. And that's not to say Emily Kinney's bad. She's got a great career ahead of her, and uh, let's go uh, leave it at that. All right. So we have an email from Gayla in Vaughan, Ontario. There is no panic in Lizzie's eyes when she's trying to quiet Judith. I don't think she was trying to kill Judith because, hey, let's kill a baby, but because Judith is a liability. <clears throat> just like Karen and David were. Now, I know Karen and David would, were weak because of the virus, and they may have easily been overtaken by a nine-year-old, but I still find it hard to believe she would have been able to move their bodies once they were dead. She had to have help, Carol. Or Carol seems likely, which means whether Carol saw Lizzie smothering Judas or, or not, she knows what Lizzie is capable of. Right, so... Uh, it came up in the last podcast that whether or not Carol would have seen Lizzie doing this doesn't really matter probably because if this is how the story plays out we know carol knows lizzie's crazy carol's got a little bit of crazy in her too probably right and uh that's that so you think carol walked up uh saw lizzie smothering judas and went hey stop that and yeah. that was pretty much it you shouldn't do that let's go yeah um, it's very bad to kill babies <laughs> Yeah, well, if I've taught you one thing, <laughs> you, you know, if you've learned one thing from me, don't smother babies. And stab stab the zombies in the head. That too. So if you've learned two things from me, it's <laughs> stab zombies in the head, don't kill babies. Right. You had one job, and it was to not kill that baby. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Aaron in Syracuse, New York writes, I admit it's a bit nitpicky, but it, ta uh, but it did take me out of the show for a few seconds. In the scene where Carol shows up with Mika, Lizzie, and Judith, did you look at Judith, or were you mostly looking at Carol? I'm pretty sure if you look at Judith in that scene and a few other quick shots, you will notice that they used a baby with markedly less hair than the main baby playing Judith. I know it's hard when working with babies, and usually twins are used to minimize the differences between the babies. Still, could they have given a uh, little Judith stunt double a little wig or something? Check it out. Keep up the entertaining work. Um, and baby, baby wigs. Yeah, baby wigs. There's a, there's an industry for you right there. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, I I have noticed the baby change a little bit, and it's funny when you watch for it because this baby, um, this baby can change from scene to scene sometimes, or shot to shot, like cut one cut away for a minute cut back it's a different baby and i heard somewhere i forget where though it may have been on amc's talking dead that they actually use five sets of twins to play judith that's 10 babies there are 10 bait there are 10 different babies now they all look alike but there are a lot of them so it's not going to be too much of a shock if you see if you see a different kid on screen now and then if you're going to have 10 babies, why do they all have to be twins? Well, because then you really only have five babies. Well, why not just get 10 babies ten that are not twins? 10 distinct babies? Yeah, because obviously there's going to be differences between baby set A and baby set B, but uh, why not just get 10 different babies and screw it? Black well, because... hair, blonde hair, three years old, six months old, newborn, whatever. Right. Well, Beard. A beard. Yeah. <laughs> Suddenly Judith is 18. <laughs> I don't know why she has a beard, but, you know, anyways. Whatever. Uh, well, yeah, that's that's just silly. <laughs> if you're going to have to, you know, willfully s suspend your disbelief, you know, why bother even trying? <laughs> well, I don't know. I think you should try because I I notice it sometimes, but I definitely don't notice it every time. Right. The thing I did notice, though, is that the baby in the forest had that little yellow thing on 
and bare legs. And then uh, after they walked out onto the um, train tracks, it had the yellow onesie on with little pink tights under it. <laughs> well, they have a whole bag full of baby stuff. And he did change the baby's diaper. So maybe after the change, he put on the tights. Oh, yeah. See? That makes sense. It all makes sense. All right. So we have an email from uh, Matt in Clementon, New Jersey. He has lots of points of his e- in his email. I just grabbed a few. Uh, Beth finally got to kill a walker and do things other than babysit Judith. Hooray. Very exciting. Uh, two, Lizzie is crazy. Jason is right. She is a serial killer in the waiting. Uh, this point goes on, but I thought the salient point here was that Jason was right. Yeah, I, I can see why you chose that one. Yeah. Uh, we never saw what happened to the other two kids from the prison. My assumption was that the shoe Beth cried about was from one of those kids, and we saw that earlier. We know that now. Yeah, so... <clears throat> Uh, Matt is right. I also enjoyed that they didn't have any of the groups run into each other yet. It should take more than one episode for that. I agree. I am glad we touched base with all of them, and I liked the uh, the format of this episode. But I'm glad they didn't come back. To, they didn't all just meet up at the end, right? I yeah. I enjoyed that. And I think now we're going to get one or two more episodes that focus not on everybody again. I think we're going to now get maybe a Glenn and Tara episode with the new people and maybe see some some of what Rick and Michonne and Carl are doing and not see the other ones. Then we'll flip back to the other folks and maybe after that they'll come together. Yeah, maybe we'll just get a just a Judith episode. Right. And they everything's from Judith's point of view. Exactly. Or or the multiple Judiths. Right. <laughs> like a bug's eye. Just have a split screen with like seven different Judiths. And what they see. Yeah, every scene will be a different baby. Yeah. All right, a couple more here. Ken from Sacramento writes, I have another reference for Terminus to share with you. At the start of Isaac Asimov's Foundation trilogy, a very old galaxy-spanning empire is on the verge of catastrophic collapse that will result in a dark age from which it will take millennia for civilization to rise again. The planet Terminus is the location chosen as the site for a colony that will preserve the empire's technology and culture and eventually lead the effort to restore civilization. So maybe Terminus in The Walking Dead is meant to play a big role in the future, or maybe one of the writers is just an Asimov fan playing a cruel trick on us. Have you read this series? I have not, and I'm actually looking it up on Audible right now because I have a couple of credits that I need to spend, and uh, this sounds like it would be fascinating. It does sound like a good one. If it's there on Audible, Jason, I think we should recommend people go to um, our Audible link and pick it up. Well, there it is, Foundation Book One. AudibleTrial.com slash Talking Dead if you want to get that. Thank you, Ken from Sacramento, for that fantastic recommendation. Add to cart. Done. (laughs) And... Is, as for it being a reference in The Walking Dead, it could. I mean, the the word Terminus, I'm not going to say it would never come up, but, you know, it's easy to reference something like that. And if that's the rebirth or sort of the the bank of civilization in this Asimov book, then why can't that sort of same thing be happening in The Walking Dead? That's the rebirth of civilization right in this community. Right. I like it. I like it, too. All right, last email from Florence in Luxembourg. Wouldn't it be really cool if instead of killing Mika, Lizzie would at some point stab or dissect or whatever Judith, and we would finally get to see a zombie baby? I doubt they would dare doing that on the show, but wouldn't it make some great TV? What do you think? I think it would be really cool, Jason. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, they're (laughs) never going to do it. They're never going to... Lizzie is never going to stab Mika... Or sorry, stab uh, Judith. I don't think uh, she'll ever dissect her. <laughs> like we're not going to get a you know like the dissected rabbit. All of a sudden, we walk in and we're going to see a you know a, a piece of wood with a big dissected baby on it. Go, oh, what happened to Judith? I wonder. <laughs> oh, geez, I wonder who did that. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I think that would be really disturbing. You know, and. I don't know where. I, I don't know where. I don't know if they did that, where they could go from there, you know. Here, have one 10-year-old or 9-year-old dissect a baby. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's probably not even an option, but hey. They'll figure out a way to do it. They're going to, they, you know, writers are very smart people. The people that write for TV, uh, you know, they know how to 
write a good story and then they take it to producers and the producers go, no, you can't do that. And they figure out a way around it uh, with good storytelling. So the combination of, uh, you know, the network and the producers staying, saying no way, Chuck and Chuck getting, uh, around it by good storytelling. Uh, I, I believe that uh, storytelling will find a way. And that is, uh, that is a good note to end on. Storytelling will find a way. True. I like it. All right, Jason, this was a lot of fun. I enjoyed this this podcast. Um, not really more than any other ones because they're all fun, but I don't feel like I've been punched in the face as much now that we're done. It's not, it's, you feel like you were able to slap the fish back? That's right. That's right. I forgot. <laughs> I was slapped in the face by a fish. And uh, you're right. I picked up <laughs> so the fish. I slapped the fish in the face. <laughs> That's right. Take that, fish. <laughs> I spent an hour. I spent the last hour slapping the fish. Yep, that's right. Uh, okay, face. thank you for doing this, and thank you to everyone for writing in, sending in your feedback. It's really, really fun to read, and if we didn't read your particular email on the air, it uh, it just means that mostly for a time constraint or so on, but keep sending it in because one of these days you'll get on here, um, and uh, you will be excited to hear your words read by me or Jason. <laughs> I, I, I really don't know if that's true. Um, so to send in that feedback, you can give us a call one eight six six four eight three z o m b or go to the website and use the send feedback button or send voicemail button. Um, you can also find us on Twitter at Talking Dead or on Facebook at facebook.com slash the Talking Dead. You can also send email to talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com. Go to amazon.talkingdeadpodcast.com when you before you do all your shopping at amazon.com. And I had someone send an email in and ask if we have an affiliate link for the uh, .co.uk Amazon. The answer right now is no. But now that you've mentioned it, I might see if we can join. I'm not sure what the rules are for uh, for joining necessarily when you're not in the UK. But then if I can join Amazon.com, you'd think I could join the UK. Anyways, might sign up for some other ones for other international Amazon stores. So if we do that, we'll let you know. For now, it's US only. and uh, it's a, But it is a great way to help uh, support what we're doing here if you enjoy the podcast, which I really, really hope you do. And what else? Oh, send in, keep sending in your entries for the Record Your Favorite Scene contest. As you've been hearing, we've got some really awesome ones. I have another one to play on Monday when we're back for our next podcast for the next episode of The Walking Dead. But keep sending them in, and I will keep playing them. It is super fun to listen to them. I hope you're enjoying it, too. And I think on that note, that's it for today. Jason, are you all good? I am all good. I just went through the purchase process on that uh, Asimov Foundation book. Cool. The first one. Well, I am confident in recommending it. And after you listen to it, let us know what you think. I will. All right. Thanks, everybody. My name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Ciao.